Luke 3, 7, 18. John said, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to take to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What shall we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't exhort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water. One who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. With many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Church, good morning. How do you follow up a presentation like that and a scripture reading like that? Uh, I wish I, when I was that young that I was able to read scripture that well or sing that well, because then I definitely wouldn't be here. Not that here's a bad spot to be, but I don't know. I feel like I had a music career, Stu. But no, I don't have a music career. Uh, good morning. I hope you're all doing really well. I just want to say thank you to Ryan and for all of your prayers. Um, this, this season of, of work has been a great experience for me, one that's been challenging and difficult. And I'd just like to say thank you. So today we're reading from John, and as you heard, the message that John brings is harsh and a little intense. <laughs> to hear it from such a little guy sounds kind of funny, but let it not take away from John's intensity in his words. So this, this week is the week of joy in Advent. And when I think of joy, I'm struck with memories of warm cinnamon buns on a Christmas day, or sitting around a campfire in the cool of a summer's night. And yet, if I'm honest with you today, biblical joy has almost nothing to do with moments like that. It's not a happy moment or an experience that we hold in our heart and treasure. Rather, biblical joy is found in times where there's no hope, where happy times don't exist, and where there's very little security in the current circumstance. The author of the biblical texts try to capture the people's voice as they cry out in pain, but are seeking something bigger in that suffering and oppression. Now, I want to try and define biblical joy for you, because I think it's important as we approach this passage. The reason is, is because I was given this passage, but then also told to talk about joy, and the first thing you read is Brood of Vipers. The two don't really connect off of face value. But what's important here is to understand that happiness and joy aren't the same thing. It goes deeper than that. 
It isn't relying on what's happening right now for me. Rather, joy is an attitude God's people have adopted for generations, not because of the circumstances, but because of God's consistent and loving promises. It's a profound decision that you and I and people for generations have been making to rely solely on Christ. And it's something we have to accept with anticipation. So take this understanding of joy and God's people's trust in God's promises, and let's apply it to John's message. John is bringing a message of repentance, and he's describing someone who's coming. He's preparing the way for this person. So John comes to these people with a very harsh message, one that's trying to shake them to their religious and cultural cores. If you noted when you were reading the scripture, he references, he references Abraham and tries to take away their ability to use Abraham as a defense against critique and problems. He's trying to bring into question something that's fundamental to them, something that would make them all feel really, really uncomfortable. But for John, he's not bringing this message to tear them down and to throw them out. Rather, he wants to build them up. He wants to change their hearts and prepare them for something. John's critique of these people is they aren't living to the extent God has prepared them to live. What he's seeking to do is remind them of this joy that for generations their people have been seeking. It's something that is yet to come, but now he gets to prepare the way. And so to prepare this way, and I want you to hear this, he's clearing up their hearts and cleaning out their lives. I'm going to really hook on that idea, so I want you to remember it. John is cleaning out their lives and cleaning up their hearts. On that idea of cleaning, for me at home, my closet becomes the dumping ground for all of my junk. If I get something and it's not immediately important enough to go on my desk or on the fridge, I'm either throwing it out or I'm keeping it in storage. And I don't know about you, but the moment I put something in storage, it's gone. It just disappears. It's like the last sock in the washing machine. I guess I never put a sock in there because it's not there anymore. And I often forget when I put something in my closet that it even existed in the first place. Let me give you an example. One of my birthdays, I got a gift card, or I got a card from my grandparents. Really nice message, a cute card, and one I really appreciated. I think I was 18, so, you know, a little more important of a birthday. And I really wanted to keep it, but I didn't have a spot on my desk, and it wouldn't last long on the fridge, so I put it in storage, right in my closet, in a good spot. A year rolls around, and I get another birthday card. I love this card. I'm going to keep this. And this actually happened. I walked to my closet to put it away in storage, and I looked down, and there's a birthday card. Um, and I realized in that moment that birthday card I had been saving from last year really didn't matter. I was only holding on to it because I felt like in the moment it was worth holding on to. But upon entering my closet, it became irrelevant junk, taking up both physical and mental space. Now, this analogy can look different for all of you, wherever you store things in your house, whether that's your closet or your kids' rooms or the back room or under the house. I don't know where you store things, but think for me of a second of where does your junk end up? Just like in your house or your closet, your heart has a space in the back of it where you store things you often don't need. It's a space where you put something not worth keeping at the front, but also not worth removing. 
And slowly, over time in your life, you fill your, light, your heart with clutter of so many different types. And I could spend a while describing to you different heart clutter, but I want you, for you to, for a second, just to think through what the process looks like of filling your heart with things. John is working on these people to begin to clear their hearts and make room for something. His call to action for each and every group is specific, directed, and immediately applicable. John is calling these people to repentance. But I want to change the meaning of repentance. Maybe not even change, just redefine. Because when I was a kid growing up, repentance was really just a long way to say, I'm sorry. I don't know about for you, but repentance never really stuck as a meaningful thing. And so as I was preparing for this sermon, I found a lot of authors talking about how repentance is actually more reorienting and transforming your life. So John is calling these people to turn their life and to focus on God. One author said, it's about returning to God with your heart and your soul. So his call to repentance isn't say sorry, it's turn to God with your whole self. And it's a deep concern that John has and he hopes that it'll bear fruit in their lives. So then you say, well, how is this relevant to Advent? Well, Advent is a really busy season. It's preceding Christmas. For my family, my birthday and my dad's birthday is within the Advent season. I finished exams, and you can go on. It's one of the busiest seasons in our lives every single year. And every single year, you'll hear someone say, I'm not ready for Christmas on October 1st. So my message here is talking about how in the busyness of Christmas, in the craziness of Advent, Advent specifically is asking us to slow down and to rest with God. But I realize that sounds harder than it is, so I, w- I want to describe to you um, some of the ways I've been doing that. I'm reading a book right now about the power of silence and slowing down, and how out of it comes the chance to hear a truer, more reliable voice. Or, another way, through silence and slowing down, we become more willing to be able to give ourselves to God's longing initiative. But how during Christmas, again, arguably one of the busiest seasons, do we do this? For me, it's been a slow and difficult journey. And I won't blame you if you try some of this and it just doesn't work. It's not about getting it right, it's about trying. For me, that looked like writing in a journal. I don't write in it every day. I actually have about a couple month periods where I don't write in it at all. But my journal writing is a time where I specifically and directly sit down and say, God, I'm just going to spend this time with you. For me, it works because I can get my thoughts out, I can write out prayers, and I can think through my process with God. It might look different for you, but it's, it's a tool that I use to slow down, to pray, and to focus on God. It's something that has fundamentally shaped my faith, and I'm able to go back and look through it as well, which I really appreciate. So Advent is saying to you, slow down, And it wants to make you wait so that you are able to find and and enjoy what joy has to offer. So what's your method of slowing down? Do you have one? If not, I would encourage you to go find that. Try different methods. Try things that work. Try things that don't work. Maybe the way you've been putting off trying is actually the way you connect with God the closest. In the slow beauty of Advent, just like John clearing out our hot 
clearing out the lives of his listeners, so too does God want to start to clear out our lives today. John is telling them that a person is coming greater than him, someone who's going to fundamentally change everything. Put it another way, he's saying, if you think I'm great, just wait until this guy comes, because he's going he's to do a work that won't stop, no matter what people do. In the hope-filled process of repentance, of turning our hearts and souls back towards God, we can discover the fruit of that relationship with Christ. In the slow silence of Advent, we can discover the beauty of the promise of joy. So I want to ask you, what is cluttering your heart? Just like my birthday card, are you holding on to it? And why are you holding on to it? For me, this Advent season, I've been holding on to hurts of this past year, whether that be lost friendships, or difficult situations, or poor decisions. I've been letting them clutter my heart and take up room that really didn't need to be there. But as I slow down to prepare for this sermon, as I let Advent take its role, I chose to let go. Instead, finding myself in the joy of God's people, a joy that looks ahead with anticipation. So Jesus is beginning to clear out my heart and helping me to clean up my closet. But, but I fought this work for a long time, so don't think that I've magically found it. It's a slow process, one I'm still struggling through even now as I wade through the clutter of my heart. It's hard to trust the process to clean out your heart. One theologian I've been reading recently named M. Basil Pennington describes this process as inviting God into our lives. He says, God is infinitely patient, and he doesn't push himself into our lives. But if we invite him with attention, opening the inner spaces of our heart with silence, he will speak to our souls, not in words or concepts, but in the mysterious way that love expresses itself by presence. We find in Advent a glimmer of what we truly need, a bell ringing deep in our soul. It's a season where our deep need for God is revealed. And if we let Jesus in, he can begin to make room for our hearts, for the one who is coming, and yet still not here. Now, I appreciate you letting me be a bit poetic today. I think it's fun to share God's magnitude in poetic symbolism and soulful cries. But I hope what I'm saying to you isn't lost, that this season is important. Now, you know what's funny is I've often ignored Advent growing up. My parents cared about it, and we talked about it. But it's only this year that I realized that the Advent calendars, the ones with the chocolate, have to do with the Christian season and not chocolate. I don't know why that never clicked with me. (laughs) I just never realized that Advent calendars had anything to do with Jesus. They kind of don't, but they're still fun. So when Pastor Stu asked me to preach this, this year, this, this week, if I'm honest, I didn't feel prepared because I really didn't understand Advent. But this is serious stuff. I love how the message, Eugene Peterson's message, describes this seriousness in 1617. He says, God is going to clean house, make a clean sweep of our lives. He'll place everything true in its proper place before God. Everything false, he'll put out with the trash to be burned. 
Now, if you're like me, right away you heard the fire analogy, and you fixated on that. But I want to take you back a step. God is wanting to work in each one of our hearts, not throwing it all away, but working with us to clean it up and put things in the right place. This process of cleaning isn't found without loss, though. I don't want you to think that once you go home, after you hear what I have to say, that this is just a one-and-done thing. There is loss. And the loss is often the needless clutter of our hearts and lives. But we so often desperately cling to it. I know I have, consistently throughout my lives, sought to cling to things that I have many voices in my life telling me I really don't need to. But like I said before, it's a choice you participate in before God, because God is infinitely patient. He isn't in the business of running your ship. He wants to be there with you. So take this Advent season and John's stern words of repentance as a chance to slow down, to turn your heart towards God, to work with Jesus to clear the clutter of your heart and prepare for the one who is coming. Sit in the anticipation of joy as God's people have been doing for generations and find the way you connect with God and begin slow because it's often painful and slow to clean your house. God's not done with me, nor is he done with you. So why so often do we just let him be done? This passage, one that I read initially and was confused by, is a passage of liberation from the weights of your heart and so much more. God isn't there to add more. He's there to take away. This deep need that I've been talking about, we can often so scarcely describe So if you're lacking the words to understand this, or you're struggling to come to what Advent truly means, I would just say let the promise of joy and hope lead your week, even when you're faced with difficult questions or painful ideas. God is working and is present, and he wants to work specifically with you in your day-to-day, in the fun and in the difficult, in the slow and the boring, to clean up your heart, and to work through the things you've often just put away to forget. I hope you would learn what Advent means more truly as I have. It's not just chocolate and calendars. It's something we all collectively as Christians walk towards, something we get to enjoy. Now I'll invite the worship team to come up as I close in prayer. But I would encourage you, if you have any questions, please reach out to one of our pastors. Or find a way to understand and go through Advent in a more intentional way. I know now that I have an an excitement and I'm encouraged to explore what Advent really means. That it's not just the, I have to wait for Christmas weeks. Now it gets to mean something more to me. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, gracious God, we give you thanks for this time and this place. Lord God, we just pray that your presence may be found within us in this week to come, that we may sit in anticipation, in hope, and in joy for what is coming. And we may hear you how to serve and to love those who we often forget. We welcome you, Christ Jesus, to clean out our hearts and to work in our lives today. 
We pray this in your name. Amen.